Uh, I just want to say uh, good morning to you. Um, always uh, great to have the opportunity to teach God's word uh, to you and with you. Um, I'm excited to announce, uh, I already said I'm excited to announce today is one year uh, together, but I'm also excited to announce that today is the final day of our 21 Days of Prayer uh, campaign. Can you believe it? It's 21 days. Um, I hope that God has used this time in your life uh, to grow you closer to him. And beyond that, that it has encouraged you to continually live a life that seeks after God through prayer. Um, I also want to remind you that tonight we're having a time of corporate prayer together to close out our 21 days. And so I, I, hope, I hope that you'll choose to make the commitment to, to be there and to pray with us over the mission and vision um, of our gathering. It's going to be a great time. We're going to have some worship as well. Uh, well, today we're going to uh, be ending our month-long sermon series on prayer. Uh, over the last three weeks, uh, we've, we've looked at the prayer of, of Daniel in chapter 9 of, of Daniel. And through it, we learned what a, a life of true prayer looks like. We discussed uh, how to become a person of prayer using Daniel's model. And I want to certainly encourage you, uh, maybe even go back, uh, review your notes, go back and listen to those messages, and, and keep putting into practice those, those principles for your life. Uh, but today, we're going to actually take a, a bit of a turn. We're going to shift things, shift gears a little bit today, uh, because we're actually going to leave Daniel and turn to the life of Jesus. Not a bad person to turn to, if you ask me. Uh, so if you have your Bibles, uh, if you haven't done it already, go over with me to the book of John, um, as Carrie just read, uh, chapter 17. Turn there with me. John chapter 17. What we see in John 17 is, is Jesus praying the night before his death. Uh, he, he knows he is about to go to the cross. And in this prayer, what we ultimately see is the overwhelming love of Jesus. You're going to see that today. It's definitely amazing uh, to be able to learn from Jesus here and to see uh, how he goes about communicating with the Father and, and, and how he prays for the disciples who were around him. But what's perhaps most encouraging of all, at least I think to you and I, is that in verses 20 through 26, we see that Jesus turns and he prays for all believers who will be born in the years to come, which of course includes us, all of us who have faith. Jesus actually prays for you and I. Jesus prays for us. And so today, we're going to look at those verses, um, just verse by verse. We're going to focus in on how Jesus is praying for us. And through it, uh, I hope that all of us will find great hope and peace, knowing uh, that we, uh, while we as followers of Jesus Christ should pray, while we ourselves, while we need to pray, Jesus has also prayed, and Jesus is continually praying for us. I also want to say before I jump into our text today uh, that we're actually going to be mixing things up a bit. 
uh, in terms of the order of things. And so what we're going to do is a little bit more like Reflection Sunday for those of you who are able to attend or watch that last uh, Sunday of the year, 2020. Um, What we're going to do is as we learn uh, what Jesus has prayed for us, what he's prayed over us, we're actually going to stop, uh, we're going to pause, and we're going to pray as well. And so the time is going to be a little bit like uh, teach me teach and then pray, teach, pray, teach, pray, like that. Okay, make sense? I hope so. Uh, I'll make sure I give you clear instructions though, okay? Um, So let's just jump right into this text together. Uh, The whole thing was already read. Carrie did that for us. And so let's just start though at verse 20 again. Verse 20, John John chapter 17, verse 20. It says this, I do not ask for these only, That's the disciples who are around Jesus, following Jesus at this time. But also for those who will believe in me through their word. So we see here that Jesus begins uh, to pray specifically for all believers who will ever be saved in all of the ages to come. That's what he is saying here. This is for all those who will believe. And so in that statement, uh, we see here Jesus in his sovereignty, Jesus knowing all things, he, he scans the centuries, the corridors of time, if you will, and he prays for all the true followers of him who are to come. And let's be more specific with this. Who are his or, or who are the, the those in the passage? Well, um, it says it plainly, clearly here. It's the ones who believe in Christ. The ones who believe in Jesus. It, it's the person. It's the people who, who totally surrender uh, to all that Jesus is and all uh, that Jesus has said. It, it's people who have repented of their sin and, and believed in Jesus as both Lord and Savior this is, who, this is who Jesus is praying for. Jesus prays for these people. And so let's be clear, just, just from the beginning, just, just make the path clear here. Jesus here, he doesn't pray for, for non-believers, okay? He isn't praying for those who do good works. He's not praying for, for people who attend a, a weekly church service. This prayer is for people who are fully surrendered. People who believe, not just with their words, but with their actions, with their life. And how do they believe? How do they believe? Well, look at what he says. Jesus says here, for those who will believe in me, then look at it, through their word, through their word. And whose word is that? Well, all we know it's the 11 apostles that are standing there around him, uh, listening to, to him, listening in on this prayer, who have been listening to all his, his teachings this last three years or so, as well as all of the others who were truly following him. And so Jesus, uh, he's praying, and he, he tells these weak and frail individuals, these people with immature faith, that the world will believe in the gospel. They'll come to saving faith in Jesus Christ through their word. 
It's going to happen through them. It's going to happen through the apostles' faithfulness. Right? Just imagine their reaction to that prayer. Right? Imagine that. But of course, right, we know, we know this, that God uses the weak, right? He uses the weak, and he uses those even with very little faith, with faith of a mustard seed. And so he chose to use these disciples to speak his truth, to share the gospel, so that you and I could be gathered here today, or even you know, gathered in your homes, listening to the word preached today. All of us, all of us that are here today, watching through YouTube, listening online, all of us here today as believers in Jesus were ultimately led to him by an apostle. Right? Isn't that amazing to think about? Right? Of course, not in person, right? None of us were believed Jesus you know, directly from an apostle, but we believed through their teaching. Uh, through the churches that they planted, the churches that they founded. And we, we came to faith ultimately uh, under their writings that were inspired by the Holy Spirit. And so while it might be indirectly, um, all of us who have believed in Jesus have come to faith through the apostles and through the early disciples' teaching. And, and so we can say, we can say, we can rightfully say, that salvation comes to us today the same way that it did from the very beginning of the church through the apostles' teaching, passed down over time. And so that's why it's so important, so important, we can't miss this, so important that we understand, truly understand the teachings of the scriptures because these words, these words, the words that were taught by Jesus and, and passed to the apostles and the other disciples, their words and the truth that they spoke, the, the words that are found within the scriptures, they are able to save. They're able to save. So Jesus prays here uh, for those who have faith, for those who have put their trust in the good news of the gospel, that Jesus is both Savior and Lord. He prays for those people. And so right now, I want us to just take a minute uh, to pray. I want us to pray that the Lord would, would help us to believe, that, that we would have greater faith, that we would continually have faith. And then along with that, I want us to pray that we would be committed to the word of God, that we would be committed to the apostles' teachings, committed to the truth of the gospel. And so let's just take a minute to pray. What's going to happen is a slide is going to come up, kind of sort of full screen. Um, there's going to be a written prayer request there, uh, sort of instruction on what to pray. And then when that time is finished, again, it'll be about a minute, we're going to go into the next point, the next teaching point, okay? So let's take a minute. Let's pray together wherever you are. Let's pray.
So Jesus prays for those of us who have faith through the apostles' teachings. And then we move into his actual prayer request. What does Jesus pray over us or, or for us? And it's really interesting to me as I, as I studied this prayer that Jesus only prays for one thing, one thing while we are here on the earth. Just one, just one thing. And I'll say it this way. Um, if Jesus is going to pray for, for every Christian in every age, uh, for all of the centuries to come, if he's going to pray for us and he's going to ask the Father for just one thing, one thing, I would say that that one thing must be really important, right? Wouldn't, wouldn't you? So it's worth studying. It's worth looking into this today. Jesus only prays for one thing while we're here on the earth. Look at verse 20 to 21 again. It says this, I do not ask for these only, again, that's the disciples around Jesus, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, and then look, that they may all be what? One. That they may all be one. That's all that Jesus prays for while we're here on earth. It's all Jesus asks the Father on our behalf. And what does he mean by being one? Well, uh, what he ultimately means here is that we would behave or we would live in accordance to our identity. That we would live or behave in accordance to our identity. As we read through the New Testament, we know that all believers are actually uh, considered to be in Christ. That's a really uh, common phrase to, to use for believers, that we are in Christ. And that certainly is deep and profound. It, it means a lot. There's a lot that we could say about that. But I'll just say one thing about being in Christ, and it comes out of Galatians 3, 26 through 28. Let's read this together. It says this. This is the Apostle Paul. He writes, In Christ Jesus, there it is, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you were, who were baptized into Christ, there it is again, have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one, here it comes again, in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus. So what we find is that in Christ, we are one. We are united. For those of us that believe, that is our new identity and reality in Christ. Those uh, who have committed to leave their old sinful lives and embrace Jesus as Lord and Savior, all who have done that, we are one. We are one. And we see how this further uh, how this is further possible, we go back to our main text now, John 17, in verse 22, we see how this is possible. It says, the glory that you have given me, that's Jesus again, talking to the Father, the glory that you've given me, Father, I have given to them that they may be one even as we are. See that? In other words, Jesus actually gives us what is necessary to be one. He equips us to be one. He gives us uh, what is needed for this positional unity. And what that means then is that we don't need to work for it. 
We don't need to work or strive for unity. And what does he give? What does he give to, to equip us? Well, it says it right there. Glory. Glory. Meaning that, this is amazing, that all of God's attributes, um, all of his essence, his being, if you will, and all of his life is put into us. We are given, try to wrap your mind around this, we are given, followers of Jesus, we are given the glory of God. The same glory that Jesus was given Jesus turns around and gives that to us. It's an incredible truth of the gospel. It's an incredible truth for those that are in Christ. That in Christ, the same spirit, the same divine life, the same divine nature, and the same divine essence has been planted, seeded in us. And Jesus says that's the foundation of our unity Positionally, you and I, the church, we are one because we are in Christ and have been given his glory. And yet at the same time, at the same time that that's true, we know that that reality isn't always manifested in our practice, right? We are one. We are one. That's the truth of the gospel. But experientially, this is not always the case. And you know that to be true if you've uh, spent any amount of time uh, in the church, right? As the church, we don't always act, we don't always live as if we are one. I'll never forget um, when I was in seminary, um, a good friend of mine, still a close friend of mine, uh, he was working uh, as a youth pastor in a church uh, not too far from our school. And I won't give you the region, if it was north or south, because I don't want you to discern um, where this is, right? He was working as a youth pastor in a church not too far from our school. And um, and things were, they were in transition. That church was in transition, but things were just really difficult uh, for several years at that church. There was just a lot of division. uh, and, And unfortunately, the church ended up splitting. It was just broken in, into two. But I'll never forget. Do you know what the, could you ever guess what the tipping point was? Like what ultimately divided or, or split the church? Um, it was actually a congregational vote on changing the color of the carpet. It was a congregational vote on changing the color of the carpet. Some people in the gathering Uh, wanted it to change. And others in the gathering wanted it to stay. They insisted that it would stay the same color as as it has always been. And so one church, based on that, I don't think that that wasn't all it was over, but that was the tipping point. One church after that became two. Um, And unfortunately, that's not like a rarity, right? Uh, It might not be that big of a deal, but we see that happening all the time within Christianity. See, in, in Christ, in Christ, we are one. We are one, but we don't always act as though we are one. And so Jesus here prays. He prays for us that we would be one that we would realize who we are in Christ, 
that we would realize the glory that we have been given and, and live that out with one another. And so with that, with that said, we're going to pause and pray again. And I want us to pray the same prayer Jesus prays, that we would be one. I want us to pray uh, for unity, for unity here, that we would realize who we are in Jesus, that we realize what we've been given, that we've been given the glory of God. We've been given the Holy Spirit. Um, we've been given God's attributes to be one. So let's, uh, let's, let's pray according to the scriptures. Let's pray alongside of Jesus uh, for unity, that he would help us to be one. Let's pray together. All right, so, so then what is our part in this? We are given glory. Jesus here prays for us to be one. He equips us to be one through faith in him and him alone. But what can we, what can we, the church, what can we personally do to experience unity in the body? Well, look with me again uh, at verse 21. Verse 21, it says this, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. So what Jesus is saying is that he wants us to be one in the same way that he, Jesus, and God the Father are one. Now, um... I think it's an understatement to say that's a really heavy thought, isn't it? Really heavy. And what Jesus is talking about here is, is a unity that has nothing to do with form and pattern at all. I'm trying to say this unity transcends. It goes far beyond the physical. This is a spiritual oneness, a spiritual unity. This is divine and the reason that God, the Father, and Jesus the Son can be one is for, first and foremost because we know they are completely holy, right? They're completely set apart. That allows them to be one. They can experience complete oneness, Jesus and the Father, with each other because they are wholly separate from the world. And that serves as the foundation or let's say the basis of their unity that in them there is no sin. 
And therefore, they find oneness with each other in that reality. At the same time, we know that they are perfectly one because of the nature of their love. The nature of their love. Meaning that, that together, uh, Jesus and the Father, they experience a perfect love in an infinite capacity. They're able to do that. The reason that Jesus lived, we know this, the reason he lived a holy and perfect life while he was on the earth was because his love for the Father, his love for, for God the Father went well beyond, well beyond any earthly or fleshly desire. Right? There was no comparison for him. And now we see here, Jesus prayer. Praise that for us. That's his prayer for us. That like the Father and the Son, you and I, you and I would live holy and separate lives. We need to do that. We need to live holy, set-apart lives. We need to put off sin and, and follow in the ways of Jesus all the days of our lives if we want to experience unity together. And at the same time, we need to also put on love, right? It's putting on Christ, put on love. We need to learn how to consider others above and beyond ourselves. And we need to love God with everything that we are, all that we have. Again, just like Jesus, just like Jesus. You see, anytime there's division, Anytime we have disunity in the body, I believe it's always a manifestation of two things. You can trace it back to two things, disunity, um, division. It's either uh, unholiness, right, carnality, like giving over ourselves over the flesh, you know, sin, call it what you want. But then secondly, a, a lack of love, a lack of love. I think you can boiled down disunity into one of those two branches. Sin, unholiness, and a lack of love. That's it. Um, some of you um, have heard of A.W. Tozer before. Um, if you haven't, uh, you need to look him up. He's, he's a good read. He's worth, he's worth knowing. Uh, but he gives this great illustration, I think, about being one and experiencing unity. He said this. He said, if you have 400 pianos and you try to tune 400 pianos to each other back and forth, you have a mess. But if you have just one tuning fork and you just tune all those pianos to that one fork, the pianos will all automatically be tuned to each other. You see... What he's saying there is that we don't need to go around trying to adjust ourselves to each other. We just need to get in tune with Jesus Christ. That's what we need to do. We need to establish our lives on God's principles and determine that we're going to be holy and separate from sin. And beyond that, we need to commit ourselves to loving like the person of Jesus Christ. We need to develop 
a love for God that goes beyond anything in this world. Right? There can't be any comparison when it comes to our love for God and everything and anything else. And if we do that, if we get in tune with Jesus, if we love like Jesus, we will be one. We'll be in harmony and unity with one another. Jesus prayed that we would experience the oneness that he and the Father shared. He prayed that we would be holy and loving. He prayed that we would be like him. And so let's pray again. Let's pray with Jesus that we would commit to eliminating sin in our lives, that we would, instead, we would put on love and that we would live like Jesus. Let's pray together. So this is Jesus' prayer, that we would be one. And I think that's amazing. That's just incredible on its own, right? But there is a further purpose to this. Look at the end of verse 21. Look at the end of verse 21. Jesus says this. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you. Then it says, that they also may be in us, so that, it might be worth underlining or highlighting, circling that. So that, here's the purpose. So that the world may believe that you have sent me. We know that Jesus came to the earth so that the people of this world might believe in him. All right, listen, this is so important. Somebody needs to hear this today. Jesus deeply desires for us. For you to believe in him. He deeply desires that. So much so that he gave his own life for us, right? He died for us. And so, again, another understatement here. It's an understatement to say that he cares, that Jesus cares deeply for the world. But the question is, it's a big question for us today. Do you? Do you? Do you care about the salvation and deliverance of the world? Do you care that Jesus wants the world to believe? Because if you do, if you do, one of the greatest signs of that is that you will actually fight and strive for unity within the body of Christ. You see, when, when we think of people coming to faith in Jesus— 
right? Typically, we, we think about going out and sharing the gospel, don't we, right? Doing evangelism. Um, we think about doing that. And certainly, of course, right, that needs to happen. That needs to be a part of the life of a believer. We're sharing the gospel with non-believers. We're evangelizing the lost, right? That's why Romans 10, 14 says this, right? It says, and how are they, the world, to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching, right? So yes, people believe in Jesus by hearing about Jesus, by hearing the gospel. That's absolutely true. But in addition to that, Jesus says here that one of the components of the world believing the gospel is the oneness, the unity of the body of Christ. The world will believe in Jesus based on the unity of those who claim to follow him. Right? That's one of the reasons that we say that we value intentional fellowship here. Right? It's one of the reasons that's it's one of the things up on our, on our back wall here, intentional fellowship. Yes, again, yes, because we want people to be encouraged and challenged to grow in their faith and community. That's true but also because we know that if we are one, if we are one, if we're experiencing true unity, true fellowship, if we're living like a family, people will see that and they will be drawn to that and they will come to faith in Jesus. That's what Jesus says here. That's what he prays. Jesus only prayed for one thing. And he said on the basis of that thing, on that unity that he prayed over us, the world will believe. And so if you, if you, if you sitting here at home, maybe in a cafe today, wherever you might be, if you're truly a Christian watching with us here today, your prayer should be Jesus's prayer that the world would believe. And they will, they will We can believe this. It's a promise. They will when we have an honest, observable, holy, loving, selfless oneness with one another. And so let's pray that out of our unity, people would come to saving faith. Let's pray for the the Heibangchan, the HBC Itaewon area. Let's pray for Seoul. Let's pray for, for all of Korea. And let's pray for our world and then, and then if you have the time, uh, take the time just in this minute to pray for your specific area or your specific circle of influence as well. Maybe it's your university. Uh, maybe it's your classroom. Maybe it's the cafe that you work at or the cafe that you frequently attend. Maybe it's your business. Uh, maybe it's your, your home and, and your family. Let's pray, let's pray that many would come to know Jesus. Let's pray together.
Well, moving on now, verse 23 is almost, we see a repeat of verse 21. And it really just affirms everything that we've been, been talking about already. And I know that I said before uh, that Jesus only prays for one thing, right? Only one thing for us. And that is true. I did caveat that. He only prays for one thing for us while we're here on earth. But he actually does pray a second thing as well. But this second prayer has to do with us in heaven, in the kingdom. It's, it's incredible. Absolutely mind-blowing, I think, if you dwell on this long enough. Look at what Jesus prays in verse 24. He says this, Father, Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. So don't miss this. Don't miss it. Right here, Jesus actually prays for our eternal fellowship with him. In other words, he prays that we would spend eternity with one another. That Jesus here, he wants, this is conveying, that Jesus wants to be with you and I forever. And so much so that he actually prays for that. Isn't that an incredible thought? Because I think that's usually our prayer, right? At times, that might be your prayer. Maybe you're in a season right now, you're praying for that. You're just saying, God, I want to be with you. I want to be in your presence. I want to be where you are, right? Better is one day, I know, better is... Better is one day in your courts with you than a thousand elsewhere. Or maybe you pray, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Come soon. I want to be with you. But this here, this here tells us that Jesus' desire is the same. His desire is the same. And this should, should deeply humble us. Humble us. I know it humbles me. It humbles me. Because I can't imagine, I just can't imagine, get it in my mind, why God would want to be with me forever. Particularly because there are so many times, there's been so many times in my life, I know there'll be more to come, that I act and live as if I don't want him to be in and around my life at all. So this is so humbling. Jesus says to God the Father, I want them, those who have faith in me, I want them to be in the kingdom with me. With me. And we know that's where he's referring to, the kingdom, because he prays uh, that, that we are in the place uh, with him where we can see his glory the glory that was given to him even before the foundation of the world that only happens or can happen in the kingdom. This is just a beautiful thought. Jesus is saying here to the Father, it's so intimate really, Jesus is saying that he wants us to see the full expression of his glory. And up to this point, uh, so far it hasn't been seen, right? Not fully. Not fully. I mean, people saw Jesus, right? They saw him when he was living and, and walking on this earth. 
But at that time when he did that, when he was doing that, we know that his glory was veiled. It was veiled. It, he was, it was covered. He put on flesh, right? No one, no one saw the fullness. They got glimpses. Mountain of Transfiguration, for example. They got glimpses of his glory. But no one saw the fullness of Jesus' glory. But he says here that he desires, he desires that his bride, you and I, the church, that we see it. I did my best. I tried to think of something that I could compare this to. What we are experiencing here with Jesus. Um, and the best I could come up with was, was comparing it to, to a relationship that starts online. I mean, like online dating. Or, or maybe um, a relationship that starts um, as primarily like very long distance. Um, people who have experienced that, uh, maybe you, you were in that relationship, or you've been in those types of relationships. Um, maybe you're in one now, I don't know. But people who have experienced that will tell you, um, it's good, it's good. But what you eventually find or discover is that the, all the writing, all the messaging, uh, the photos that are taken and shared back and forth, right? even the Skype or the Zoom or the whatever, the FaceTime calls, even if they're every day, every night, they're not enough. They're not enough. That there is a desire... There is a longing for more. There is a a deep desire to be in the physical presence of each other, of one another. There is a longing to be be fully uh, fully manifest before that person, that, that they would see all of you, that the person that you love and deeply care about, that they would know all of you, that they you would be in their physical presence, that you would be where they are. You want to be seen by that person. And that's sort of a glimpse, a glimpse. It's, it's not the best illustration, but it's the best one I could come up with. That's sort of a glimpse of what Jesus is saying here. Jesus wants us. We're already in a relationship with Jesus. But Jesus' desire is that we would see all that he is, not just a glimmer, not just a glimpse. He wants, he wants us to experience the fullness of who he is, the fullness of his glory. So that's, that's his desire. And so here, that's his prayer. And, and when we are in the kingdom with him, when we get there, when we reach that goal, What will he see? We know what we'll see. We'll see him fully manifest, perfect in all glory in his holiness. We'll fully uncovered. We'll see that. We'll see that. But what will Jesus see? In other words, what will we be? Well, we learn that in 1 John chapter 3, verse 2, other places in scripture as well. But look at 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. It says, Beloved, we are God's children now. And what will Uh, What we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall, here it is, be like him. Because we shall see him as he is. You see that? It's amazing. 
we, when we're with Jesus in the kingdom, we will be like him. That actually, we are going to manifest the fullness of his glory before him. We're going to be like, you could say, we're going to be like perfect prisms, reflecting the glory of God, reflecting the glory of Jesus Christ. This is what Jesus cried out here to the Father. Not only that we would see him, but that we would reflect him as we experience fellowship with him in glory forever and ever. It's an amazing truth, amazing reality of the gospel. And so I want us to pray now. We're going to pause again and pray now. Or more so, let's, let's move from prayer to praise. Let's go into a minute of praise. Let's praise the Lord. Let's thank the Lord now for his desire uh, for us to be with him and to be like him forever. Let's praise God together. Well then, we, we finally close the prayer. And, and this is Jesus' uh, amen here, which simply means uh, so be it or, or let it be. And this is his let it be. Let it, let it be so. He says this in verses 25 through 26. Let's read it. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you. And these know that you have sent me. I may known to them your name. And I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. So, so we see here that Jesus' prayer requests have ended now. And now we see Jesus just makes this, this declaration of faith that because he knows the Father, he's so in tune with God the Father, being God himself, that he is certain that he will surely, that God the Father will surely hear and answer his requests. And then it finishes. Yes, it says, Father, hear my prayer. But also know, it says, Jesus says this, know that I'm going to continue to do my part here as well. Interesting. You see it there? Jesus says, I will continue to make your name known. See that? So this is Jesus here. This is amazing. Again, there's a lot of amazing things in this prayer. Incredible. This is Jesus promising here to continue the work of salvation in the world. And listen, we should. Actually, I believe we need. We need to take hold 
take, take a strong hold of that promise. That Jesus died for us, that he rose from the dead so that we may have victory over sin, Satan, and death. But even now, even now, Jesus is still working on our behalf. He's still working. Right? What an encouragement. What a prayer. Jesus is praying for you. You know that. He's praying for you. He's praying that we, his church, he's praying that Freedom Village, that we would be one. And he is praying that we would be with him forever. And so let's be encouraged. Let's be encouraged knowing that the King of Kings and Lord of Lords is praying for us. He didn't just pray, though. He didn't just pray one time that the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, he continues to pray for us. That's why Romans 8, verse 34, tells us, tells us that, that Jesus right now, we know, he is at the right hand, right hand of the Father, interceding for us, which means that he's working for us, that he is still today, today, even now, he is praying for you. He's praying for me. He's praying for us. So be encouraged by that. Be encouraged by that. But also, let's be encouraged to pray with Jesus. Let's be continually uh, devoted to, committed to, praying alongside of Jesus. Over the, the last 21 days, this last three weeks, we've been praying and, and fasting together uh, as a church. But this time, this time together, I hope you know this, right? I, I think you do. It wasn't just about praying for 21 days. It's not the point. That's good, and, and God honors it for sure. But this was much more about becoming a person of prayer, helping us to become further along in that journey, becoming a person of prayer. It was about learning to be a person who is closely connected to the Lord, knowing that he desires to be closely connected to you, to us. Jesus is praying for you. He is praying for us, his church. And so let's be a church that prays as well. Let me pray for us.